Hello, athletes. As always, I am so happy to be back in your ears for another episode. And before we dive in, I actually want to give you a heads up that this will be my last episode of the Mental Endurance Podcast. I'm not going far, but after this week, I won't be your host on this podcast. And I want to speak to this a bit because I think it's important to recognize that some things are part of our lives seasonally. And when we evolve and grow, it gives us the opportunity to expand in new and different ways. I remember the hearing this quote a couple years ago that's always stuck with me. Um, the quote said, I like change as long as I remember that I like change. And I think that's so true. Change, whether planned or not, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's just the next thing. And when you open yourself up to something new without knowing the how or having it all figured out, you really get to uncover these new depths of your own determination and drive. And for me, that was even true when I started on this podcast. I didn't really know anything about podcasting, but I did know that I had to tell the world what is possible when you train your mind like you train your body, from my experience and everything that I've watched my athletes achieve. So I didn't have time to worry or try to make everything perfect from the beginning. I just grabbed the microphone and started talking. 11 episodes over on the Iron Woman podcast, and then 25 total after moving over here to the Mental Endurance podcast. I can say that I'm more passionate about this than ever before, and that would not have happened if I wasn't willing to take on change and try something new. It's been a blast, and I'm just getting started, really. I really want to thank the Live Feisty team for all of their guidance and support this whole time. Okay, so before I sign off of this show, I want to take an opportunity to talk about St. George 70.3. For those of you who listen that are not triathletes, what I'm talking about is the Half Ironman in St. George, Utah that happened on May 1st. We've now had a few big races take place here in the U.S., and it's looking like racing is back. I feel so, so grateful to have had the opportunity to tow a start line. The first race back for me since September of 2019, and I will say that the energy was electric. It was amazing, more than I've ever experienced before. So what I want to do for this episode is bring you in, kind of like a verbal race report, but not like a normal race report. I'm not going to tell you like the play-by-play -play of what happened. Instead, I want this to be more useful for you. So after I did a little bit of reflection on my own race, I decided that how I want to frame this is kind of how I approach a lot of the episodes in the way in which I talk about things. And what I think, what I hope you've learned from listening to these podcasts is that you have to take responsibility for everything in your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, because when you take responsibility for the good, you learn how to repeat it. And when you take responsibility for the bad, you stop blaming other people or circumstances. And when you take responsibility for the ugly, you can stay in your power and you're not at the effect of anything or anyone else. It's quite frankly, a win, win, win. So when I was reflecting on my race, I decided um, to think about the race result and what my experience was and share with you my top five mental endurance lessons from racing 70.3 St. George. And when I was planning for this episode, I was thinking like how far back I wanted to go. Like, where do I want to pick up? Because you know, it's never just about race weekend. It's about the training and all the days that add up to race weekend, all the little and big decisions here and there, and the micro quits and micro commitments here and there. It's all of it. So I've compiled it into these top five mental endurance lessons. Uh, you can take one or a few or all and just see how your application of them could change your next race day. 
Okay, so up first is the idea that how you train is how you race. And what I mean by that is what you practice in your training will always be what you execute on race day. Of course, you take it up a notch or five in terms of the effort sustained over a longer time, but you cannot hope, wish, or pray for something to magically happen on race day that you do not intentionally incorporate in your training regularly. And I say this because I used to do this. I used to train at a certain level, you know, watts, pace, whatever, and then get to race day and expect myself to race significantly faster and be disappointed when I didn't. But the important thing to note here is the same is true for the mental space that you take to race week and race morning. What I hear from athletes the most the absolute most is that they want to be more confident in themselves in racing. And here's the thing. If you don't train confidently or train to build your confidence, a better way to say it, why would you assume confidence on race day? Where do you think it comes from? I love when people say, don't try anything new on race day, because I was that girl too. I would always think race day was the perfect time to try something new that might give me that like edge. And I will never forget the look my husband Danny gave me when I told him I was going to race with those goggles, you know, those goggles that came out a few years ago that helped with sighting. I don't know what they're called, but you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, they're supposed to help you swim straight. And I bought them at the expo the day before the race. <laughs> and that was one of the one and only time that I used those goggles. But the reason this advice is so common is the same basis for what I mean when I say how you train is how you race. But at that time, when I thought the goggles would give me the edge, I was skipping at least one, maybe two swims a week in my training, probably adding more rest here and there, and really not working to build my confidence in the swim. And then I looked to these goggles to be the thing that closed the gap on my swim ability to my expected results. But it doesn't work that way because no amount of gear or single piece of gear can make up for what you lack in mental endurance. And in that way, I'm talking about confidence leading into mental endurance. So when I think about the three ways I, I always want to feel race week and race day, it's calm, certain, and confident. Calm, certain, and confident. Calm, not frantic, stressed, and in this emotional turmoil. Certain, not worried, fearful, or anxious. And confident, not doubtful or overly nervous. But feeling calm, certain, and confident, we'll call those the three C's, they don't just show up on the most important day, you know, the day of your A race. And I would argue, if you're not paying attention, the opposite is what we feel by default and what shows up more often. And by opposite, I mean the worry, the doubt, the, the nerves. And if that's true for you, it's because you have not yet honed your ability to train how you want to feel on purpose. You train swim, bike, run, but do you train calm, certain, and confident? You can sharpen your mind to access these emotions on demand. Create the physical and mental environment to feel this way in training on purpose. When you do, you create a new experience for your mind that will inevitably inform how you race and then what your race results are. Okay, moving on. The second lesson is this. Everyone on course has their own potential for breakthrough that does not impact yours. So our brains love to think about our potential or our race results or what's available to us to achieve like it's a piece of a pie. Think like pie chart style, as in there's a limited amount and when I get my slice, it leaves less for someone else or vice versa. 
And that's definitely not true. There are infinite pies. Allow your brain to open up to a greater sense of sufficiency because when you do, you race from that sufficiency. When there are infinite pies, then you can have yours and I can have mine and we're all just out there on the course getting the best of ourselves. So as an example, in St. George, there were more spots available to 70.3 worlds than normal. I also think the competition was pretty stacked because we're all just itching to race. So if you go into a race knowing that there are more spots to worlds available and it's your goal to qualify, then you are more likely to push yourself a little harder knowing there's a greater chance to get the spot, right? So that is you racing from a sense of sufficiency versus lack. And it changes the experience because it's so much more fun and rewarding that way. But you don't have to have more spots to worlds in order to race that way. You can choose to race from sufficiency without the world's qualifications being a part of it. Okay, the third lesson I want to share is actually more of a question. Why have we not always raced blind? So with the new COVID precautions, there is no longer body marking happening, which means there are no numbers on the cats. So we, for now, I guess for the foreseeable future, but I hope it sticks around, are racing blind. And I am all for it because it supports and allows us to be way more present in our own race. Head down, blinders on, managing our own effort as opposed to letting others dictate or influence our race while we're racing. We've all been in that position. When someone in our age group passes us and we take it as a challenge that completely distracts us from our own race plan. But racing blind changes that because if we're not informed on whether or not someone around us or someone passing us is in our age group, it's easier to focus on ourselves and gives less mental energy, which by the way, on race day, mental energy equals physical energy, but it gives less mental energy to them. If this is the new way we race, I encourage you to see that this could totally elevate your race. If you're willing to use it to your advantage to be more present and race your own race. Okay, the fourth lesson, ready for this one? Your ranking should not equate to a status symbol. I'm calling this idea like ranking attachment because it never fails. Even if the race was executed perfectly, if the ranking isn't top 10 or top five or top three or first, then there are those of us that have these thoughts that it's not good enough. And the good enough part is because we have ranking attachment. When did we allow ourselves to have a number determine our worth? Probably like in school when we were graded or in a job when we were ranked against other people. Either way, it's a dangerous place to race mentally because it can tear you apart. Notice I'm not saying that the rankings are the problem. They're not the problem. They can stay. It's the attachment that we have to them and how we think a number can make us more complete, successful, worthy, happier, for ourselves or in the eyes of other people. That can never be the case. The status you think you get from a ranking has nothing to do with the ranking itself and everything to do with the thoughts you have about the ranking and the fact that you think the ranking has more weight than it actually does. That's why there are people out there who are ecstatic about a 12th place finish and others who are devastated about a third. Race to reach a higher ranking without the loaded attachment to that ranking. All right, number five, the fifth mental endurance lesson from St. George 70.3 that I want to share is this. The best thing that you can do for yourself post-race is honor your in-race effort and have your own 
back after it, no matter the race result? When was the last time that you actually had your own back about the way you race and train? Listen, I'm a high performer too. I will never stop pushing the edge of what's possible for myself and helping the athletes I coach do the same. But the surest way to stall your progress and make it harder on yourself is crossing the finish line and then immediately saying, I should have done this. I should have done that. This was terrible. That was the worst. And by the way, this is just another flavor of your brain being a brain when it shows you everything that's wrong first. When you hit yourself with the shoulds, you're robbing yourself of how you race and the effort that you put in during the race. How would your race experience and post-race experience change if you committed to the effort while racing, trusted that in every given moment you were doing your absolute best, and then crossed the finish line and honored that race from start to finish? Having your own back means you maintain the belief that who you are is someone who always does what they are able to, to race to keep the level of effort high and problem solve along the way when needed. When you don't believe this about yourself, you look for ways to discredit your race and rob yourself of what you actually achieved. So build the belief that this is who you are. You race from start to finish. Sometimes the results are where you want them to be and other times they're not, but that doesn't change who you are. Okay, there they are in all of their glory, (laughs) my five mental endurance tips from St. George 70.3. I hope that they're useful. And with that, I am signing off from this podcast. It has been a blast. If you're curious about what's next for me, make sure you follow me on Instagram at Vanessa Faye Forrester. I will see you there and hopefully at a start line soon. Bye.